welcome back. Welcome back to Everyday Being. Here we are again. I'm here. Gareth's here. Steve is is here. Uh, we've Hello. had a gap of a month. Uh, we can't quite believe that it's been a been a been a month, um, but it has indeed. So apologies uh, if uh, if you've been looking for some stuff and it's not not been there. Uh, hopefully that there is a growing back catalogue that you could have got your fix in whatever way from from some of the old episodes. But we are delighted to to be to be back. Steve's been away. He's looking radiant and tanned. How was your holiday, Steve? Oh, it was very good, thank you. Yeah, it was very. Uh... Very relaxing. Nice to have some sun. <clears throat> nice to have the opportunity to do lots of walking. We did lots of sort of walking um, while we were there. Um, had the sun during the day, and then loads of opportunity just to sort of read and catch up on things like that. So um, yeah, it was a really relaxing couple of weeks. How's life with you? Nice. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, good, good. Uh, yeah. So uh, what's what's the big news for me? So. Uh, the marathon now is completed so uh in previous episodes we've been talking about my marathon prep and and how in, in everyday being impacts some of those those things um uh, marathon went really really well i was really pleased with the outcome so my official chip time of three te- three hours 10 minutes and 55 seconds um which i was really pleased of uh it was um i'd say it was like a disciplined and controlled run i felt amazing at mile 20 uh and then about a mile and a half later it started to really really hurt um and the the last three miles you know just the equivalent of an easy park run with some of the things i was telling myself (laughs) was really really hard really hard and and there was a lot going on in, in my head and I'm fortunate that I've got a very dear friend who was uh, running it with with me, who uh, who did an amazing job and pull it, pulling me along the last sort of three miles because yeah. I'd have walked on my own if I'm, if I'm really honest. <laughs> and there were there were plenty of moments that I was having a real kind of like strong inner dialogue with myself. One <laughs> one part of me going it's all right, <laughs> it's calm, it's fine. This is just an experience that you're having. And then, yeah, and then there was a lot of self-criticism and self-talk going on in, in the head there. So it was a it was a lovely example of, despite all the stuff we te- say and we talk about on this podcast, sometimes it just yeah. doesn't always sort of play out yeah. play out that way. Um, that shows the value, so I guess, I was, having <clears throat> having someone to support you through that actually as well, doesn't it? it just shows the value of of that as well. Yeah, it was actually, and interestingly. He it, it, it was utter amazing, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it without him. You, you always go, well, what did he do? And okay, he just said, no, come on, we got this. Yeah. And and it wasn't like a huge sort of like Chichilian speech that sort of dragged me over right. the top or something. It was just those simple nudges and reminders. There was one moment like I physically lurched from like being running in the middle to to going to the curbside because I decided that was it. I was walking and I was off. So I just, it was almost like a sort of like comedy kind of like running centrally and then like disappearing <laughs> off. And he was like, where are you going? And he like sort of like moved out with me and I was like, I'm walking, I'm walking. He's like, you're not walking back on in. And he sort of like just guided me back in. So it was just a, just a sort of lovely nudge and reminder. And, and he interestingly as well, like the, the pace dropped a bit, but not, but not by, by much as well. So the, yeah, actually, once my head got once because it didn't do, but the body knew what it had to do, 
I just had to get away, get out of, of my head. But at that time, it's blooming horrible for that. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. 25-ish minutes that it probably lasted in all honesty. Yeah, yeah. So we just need yeah. a nudge, I guess I'm saying in life. Well, I guess and also it shows that despite what goes on in the mind, if if you're able just to carry on, carry on running as you, you did, actually that, that didn't have a particularly detrimental impact on the performance. No, no. It's no, sort it of didn't. quite interesting, isn't it? We talk a lot about how important our state of mind and our thinking is and so on. But in a way, we're saying, well, if we understand the nature of that, then you don't have to manage it because you sort of understand. You just understand it. And I was listening to a someone that was an international curler, you know, that does the sort of curling. And she was talking about work, working with some youngsters. So she's sort of coaching now. And she was saying that was really interesting. That's what she really noticed is that despite sometimes what was going on in her mind, she noticed that that, that didn't necessarily correlate them with the quality of the next stove. <laughs> So she said, I could have a really sort of busy mind and, you know, lots of doubt and so on. And then throw a really good stone and another time could have a really clear mind and throw a stone and it's, it wasn't as good. And she said, it's really interesting to try and get that that across to people. Um, she said, is, um, is often quite a challenge because people think that yeah. one will will definitely sort of correlate with the other. Yeah, that was quite an interesting observation, from, which is what you've had as well, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, yeah. exactly yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Which, to some extent, nice. Yeah, it almost takes us on to our topic to, today. Um, we are talking about, we've called it good enough. But we'll see as the conversation develops. Actually, is there maybe a sort of like a prefix or a suffix to, to that, in all honesty? Because we were thinking about some of the things that go on in our heads and in an everyday perspective about, I don't know, when we say, you know, either being questioned am i good enough am i being good enough or judgments of oh i'm not good enough for this and you know a lot of things of self-talk that goes on in our minds that therefore impact our um our performance our existence our being our experiences our relationship with with others and a general sense quite frankly of well well-being um that's that's the sort of topic we're going to talk about today and 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 as ever with the podcast you know what we're trying to sort of point at is 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 happiness and and well-being and innate good health that we genuinely believe is is there and comes from a state of being and the understanding of being that we have and as ever what we're trying to do in this in in these podcasts is give a little bit of sort of some theory or some understanding but keep thinking about how that plays out in an in everyday experience and everyday simple examples that hopefully you can go okay yeah i can i can i can see that i can see what what uh, when i do that and now i can see the relationship between my being and what i'm what i'm doing and maybe some changes simple small changes that you can make that we can all make that can have just a real big difference on 
on our happiness and our, our well-being. And and if I'm probably honest, there was moments during that marathon when I was probably having some internal dialogue with myself about I'm not good enough to be running this or <laughs> or I've not done enough work. So there was plenty of stuff that was very much in 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 uh, in line with this. Um, so so we will be talking about this. Um, I don't know what we're almost calling it a sort of delusion that there are separate versions of ourself. And what, what does that mean is I've already sort of talked a little bit when I'm, you know, marathon about this internal dialogue that I was having with myself. Well, well, hang on. Is there two versions of it or multiple versions? Who the blinking neck was I, I talking to? And hopefully that'll be something that you can relate to and go, okay, yeah. Who am I talking to in that, in that moment? And what, and if you come back to the context of being good enough, what impact is that, is that having? Because we genuinely think that, when we when we are questioning or judging ourselves about good or, or whatever that might be, that just has a profound impact on our confidence and our well-being. And and clearly we've had a couple of podcasts previously when we've thought about well-being. We've thought previously about confidence as well. We've looked at it from a um, speaking in public perspective. So so we're returning to some similar themes that we've done in previous podcasts. But again, hopefully we're coming at it from a different perspective. Um, and again, as always, the encouragement is that if we come from our being, that's where the greatest impact can, can have. Steve, do you want to sort of kick us, kick us off? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's really interesting because I know we when we mapped out this, you know, this series and we talked about this as a, it's really interesting question, isn't it? It's why is that such an issue about people feeling good enough? <laughs> I think it's really, um, it's really interesting thing to sort of reflect on. And I guess that's where we sort of, um, I guess it comes back, I think, to the essence of some things we've been covering on other other episodes, really, which, I think is that sense of if we think of ourselves as a separate self, it's really interesting to, to sort of reflect on what that actually, what the implications of that in terms of the way we think about life and what the way we think about ourselves as part of life. Um, and then, and I'll perhaps say a bit about that in a moment. And then the, well, okay, if that, if that's the source of the problem, what's the antidote? And I guess the antidote comes back to the overall essence of what we're doing, which is being, you know, coming coming back to sort of being. Because it seems to me that if you if you if we think of ourselves as a separate self, then there's a strong sort of identification with our ego, with our sense of um the 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 thoughts that we hold about who we should be. You know, we talked in the past about this sort of sense of the Toltec sense of a book of law, you know, that yes. often as you associate with an ego, there's a sense of this is right. This is wrong. This is what being good means. This is what being successful means and, and everything and everything else that sort of flows from there. So we get that sense of a, a standard and an expectation that I suppose then, well, why why do we hold that? Well, I guess it, it really comes back, I think, to wanting to feel secure you know I think often when we're when people are really my experience of working with people um you know it comes up a lot in coaching when you track back to what when someone's struggling 
you often notice there's fear and insecurity in the background. There's feeling of um, not feeling vulnerable, not feeling settled in whatever position they're in, or it might, if it's to do with their role, it might be the sort of the role that they're in. Um, and, you know, because I think for the ego, there's a sense of we've got to meet our own standards and expect and our own expectations. And I suppose if you think of yourself as a separate self, then you've you've got to sort of protect yourself, really, you know, because I think it can see that other people might have more. It almost drives you into a more sort of competitive, um, slightly more aggressive stance in a way, because you've got to sort of protect yourself from all the things that might, you know, might affect you, where, that might cause you to lose some of the things that, that you think and sort of hold dear. So I think there's that real sense of sort of control. And I think, as we mentioned before, actually, then you get this sort of self one that Tim Galway talked about um, in the inner game, which was that this internal dialogue that tries to then take control. And yeah, he was describing the fact that, you know, mostly when you're living your life, you want to live it, leave it from self too, which is more of just being present, being engaged, being aware, being connected to what you're doing. It's really when the mind kicks in and the ego kicks in that suddenly something that happens very naturally and very easily, we try to take control of it through self one. And I guess you could even see that with like running, you know. Yeah. My guess would be that a lot of time when you're running, you're not you're not having to think about where your foot lands and to push off and all the rest of it. It's just that happens very, very naturally. But sometimes when we're stressed and we're struggling, that self one tries to sort of take over things that just happen very naturally, sort of, and very easily. Um, and I think just the final bit I would say is that I quite like there's two psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels, um, mm. who are like the psychiatrists to Hollywood, really. It, nearly everyone, I think in Hollywood, goes to these two. These two okay. there's, a, there's a documentary on Netflix called Stutz, which was um, one of Phil Stutz's clients made this documentary about him, and it's on um, on that. Gwyneth Paltrow is one of Barry Michael's clients uh, okay. because I've seen her interview him. But they, the we'll, uh, things... we'll put the information on the uh, on the uh, part of the description. Yeah, of we the can podcast just put that in there. And they've written it. a couple of books, and it's really interesting because one of the things they talk about is they call it part X, and they say everyone has a what they call a part X, and it's this. I think in a way it's the same thing as the self one, you know, that sort of slightly negative voice, insecure, quite sort of primitive feelings because it comes from quite a primitive sense of trying to sort of keep you small and um, sort of keep you safe in a sense. And, um, And one of the things they say is that you can't defeat part X. It's a, it's part of life. So there's but there's a value in seeing it. There's a value in having an awareness of it so that when it comes up, you can name it. Oh, that's part X. And you sort of see the the content. So you don't then get caught up in the in in that voice and and what it's saying to you. And it's quite helpful. I've I've at times when I've had that going on for me. That's been quite helpful sometimes to just to, to say, to oh, no, that's 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 sort of part X. And I think 
you know, going back to what you were saying about the marathon, it's really interesting as that sort of negative voice perhaps comes in and oh, you need to stop and 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 so on. It it's really interesting if they're saying we can't defeat it. That's the mistake I think we make is we try and defeat that voice or we defeat okay. a negative state of mind. It's just saying no, you can just you can just name it. You can okay, that's just that's that sort of part X in the way they would describe it, so that you can sort of have it. But it sort of doesn't have you. It's a sort of way of sort of, in a way, separating yourself yeah. from that. Um, so I think that's is where that similar. That's, is it? Yeah, go on. Is it similar to Steve Peters's chimp paradox and in the inner chimp? Is it sort of? I, I think there's a, diff, a slight difference there, but that's what I'm. When you were talking, I thought oh, that came to mind. Yeah, I think it is actually. I haven't read that book for years, but I, I, yeah, I think there is that. I think people have different ways of describing it. I guess for us, based on what we talked about in terms of everyday being, I think when you then really track it right back, it is if we think of ourselves as a separate self, you can sort of see why so much of the challenges and issues we face in life from an isolated self, you can you know, you can make quite a strong argument and say, oh, my God, that does that does create lots of issues for us in for ourselves, for our relationships with other people, from the way we think about it and sort of engage in life. And, you know, I think you can definitely see some people get that at a very deep level where they can genuinely see. I think sometimes it's quite hard because it looks like, well, I am separate. My body looks separate. But for me, just as you inquire into that, you know, I think we've mentioned before, often if I'm going for a walk or something, you sort of realise, well, I'm not separate. I'm not separate to the, the path that I'm walking on. I'm not separate to the air that I'm breathing. I'm not separate to the fact that the sun is is providing um, light and heat and energy. Uh, I'm not separate to the trees that are taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and putting oxygen back in you know when you think of it you can really even just it as you just from an everyday perspective you see yeah of course i'm i'm constantly my whole life is in relationship to um to life in a sense yeah <laughs> you that i think that sense of an independent self is is a real is a real myth actually even just if you examine it from an everyday perspective without getting more into the sort of metaphysical aspect of it yeah. but just from an everyday practical sample you just realize what well, god if i if i'm driving somewhere you know i'm connecting the, the car i'm i'm on the road i'm connected to the other road users and what they're doing you know that we're so there's a i think life is a complete sort of inter interdependency and i think we lose sight of that when we're not when we are struggling with feeling good enough or when we're perhaps stressing ourselves out about how well we're doing we do sort of tend to see ourselves as a sort of more isolated from a more isolated perspective yeah it's interesting. I was thinking as we sort of prepped for this was about was you know, imposter syndrome is something that has 
um, I guess got got a lot of um, prominence and is something that particularly in in business as as we work and you know look it, this is not exclusively clearly but it but in my experience and I think the research shows that it does uh, impact women more um, more more um, more commonly um, and so it is something that we we talk about and and. I was wondering as you were speaking about it, 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 it. That that for me is something about about am I good am I good enough? You know, there there is a path there is there is an influence there. I'm not saying it's the whole part of it, but I think it's a it's a, a big proportion of it. And I was interestingly sort of wondering as you were talking about sort of uh, Stutz's work about naming it, whether there was value in actually knowing that this is something that goes on and that we we all or people will have this as a as a, as a factor and I, I was just sort of thinking in my head about is that a good thing or, or not because sometimes there is there are there are some unintended negative connotations or in consequences from actually naming something that actually can be an excuse as opposed to oh no it's 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 there and I understand it and I'm and I'm managing it and I'm conscious of it so I was I was just sort of playing around with that in my head as you were speaking yeah I, it's it's sort of why I quite like what they said about part x because it doesn't mean anything in a sense <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean it's not like yeah it, it's a bit like you know when the the what was it the buddha you know when someone said what was enlightenment he said at the end of suffering it's really interesting that it it wasn't saying it's this it was actually framing it in a negative actually which leaves it more open-ended so i think i quite like part x because it's going yeah but what is what and then they talk about what's behind it but it doesn't mean anything in itself whereas i think I think imposter syndrome, I don't know, has it's more loaded. It's a more loaded term because you're yeah. right. I mean, it, it, you hear it a lot in sort of business and um, and it's treated as a thing that needs to be addressed. Whereas, it, I mean, it's really interesting, imposter syndrome, because it's like I've worked with so many people over the years and it's like I've never come across someone who would say, oh, God, I've never had imposter syndrome. It's just never been a factor for me. Just never come across anyone that would say that, would honestly say, oh, no, there's never been moments where I felt like a bit of an imposter or fraud or whatever it is. So you, you sort of think, well, it's part, it's part of the human condition then. So I quite okay, like what yeah. they said about Partex, because rather than see this is something to be defeated, it's just saying no it's something to understand and uh, for me if i if if i explored imposter syndrome i say well if if you want to play life and and be out of your comfort zone so if you want to live life fully from a sort of creative standpoint being engaged and in what you're doing which i think is part of our hu our nature human nature is to create because we're part of life which is creative so by definition you're at times going to be out of your comfort zone because if you're going to develop your potential grow and develop and learn which i think is hardwired into us then by definition you've got to be out of your out of your comfort because if you're in a comfort zone you're not you're not learning anything so if you're stepping out and you're developing your potential, 
well, there's a there's going to be an element of trepidation to that because you're, by definition, it's sort of being uncomfortable. So there's a risk that then a bit of self-doubt will kick in, which is what Tim Galway was talking about, I think, with self-one, a bit of doubt and fear will, will sort of start to kick in. So I would say you could look at imposter syndrome and say, no, it's a positive. Because what it's telling you is you are playing your life out of your comfort zone. So uh, a very successful coach called Rich Lipton would say, no, you, you, if, you're, if you don't have it, you should be questioning yourself. <laughs> he would do it the other way. He would say, if my clients don't feel like they're a little bit of an imposter, then he, he said, I really challenge them to say, well, are you playing big enough? Wow. What, what was the it, so if, it was the it that he referred if you don't ha have it, would yeah, you, you know, don't have sure it. What you meant by that? Yeah, he said, Well, if you don't feel like an imposter, if you don't have that feeling of, oh my God, is this too much for me? Uh, you know, is this something I can do? If you if you he would say, Well, if you don't, if you're not having those thoughts, he would challenge his clients to say, Well, maybe you're not playing big enough. Because if you want to achieve something that's significant for you, then by definition, you're going to be pushing yourself perhaps beyond what you think you can do and what you can achieve. You know, you're out of your comfort zone. And he would say, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because that's where your growth is. That's where the opportunity is. That's where creativity comes from. It doesn't come from staying in your comfort zone. It comes from being out of your comfort zone engaging with life and then seeing what the possibilities sort of um you know might be from from that perspective but we also know don't we that actually at times things can be incredibly overwhelming and debilitating as well can't we when we're out of our comfort zone so uh, how do we manage that yeah I, I think there's a as with all these things I think there's there's a progression so you don't want to get yourself so far beyond your capabilities that you just scare yourself to death. So, you know, if you, if you can't swim, right? Yes, I'd swim in my head, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Going, you know, I don't know, going to the five foot diving board, you know, which is obviously going to be really deep. And just thinking, well, you know, I've, I've got to get out of my comfort zone. You know, Gareth and Steve <laughs> said, get out of your comfort zone. I'll just... I'll just drop off the end and, you know, trust life, you know, and, you know, and it's like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. <laughs> so this isn't about, I think, I think what's interesting, isn't it, is that if, if you're full of him, if, if, if you've got imposter syndrome, if that's really prevalent for you, you're going to have a busy mind and you're going to have a busy mind that means that your state of mind is going to be very poor. So the quality of thinking you're going to have is going to be incredibly poor. You know, as we've talked about before, you'll be, we're very black and white in the way that we, we think about things. And often from that, it's sort of fight, flight, freeze. We get, we get stuck in. So I, I think yeah, if you go back to everything we've been talking about, it's saying, no, actually, there's an intelligence. There's a wisdom that we're automatically connected to. So that if I can't swim, but but I want to 
explore that. I want to start swimming. I want to get more comfortable being out of my depth. Then um, thinking that I'm an imposter and all the thinking that goes with that doesn't help with that at all. That as sure as anything will stop you taking effective action. So I think what we're saying is, no, actually, if that's something you want to do, you can recognize that's going to feel a bit uncomfortable. And if you can be okay with that, you can then trust your own innate wisdom, which will not suggest that you go to the five foot diving board and just jump off and with a hope and a prayer. <laughs> it will probably suggest to you that go to a pool where there's a gradual increase from um, the shallow end to the deep end. And it will probably suggest to you, look, it might be good to develop some skills around swimming. So it might be really helpful to, I don't know, get some lessons about swimming or to put some armbands on or take a rubber ring or, you know, all sorts of possibilities that might say how I can progress from the shallow end to the deep end. And that might involve initially staying more in the shallow end to gradually lift your feet off the ground and see what it's like. So that if you need yeah. to, you can just put them straight back down. Mm. Um, you know, a bit like, you know, you've probably done this with your children as well. You know, years, years gone by with the kids, you know, the cycling. You just think, I was, I, <laughs> well, yes, that was on your yes. mind as well. Yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. you remember, you know, sometimes you let your hand off and they didn't know and they'd be cycling and then they suddenly notice and then the doubt kicks back in and you grab it back again. Or the what you know, I don't know if you did the one wheel off and you know, so that if they needed to, they could just drop back on the one side with the stabilizers. Um so I think, yeah, you it, it's really useful to that to recognize that the whole point of what we're talking about is saying when we're present, when we're engaged, when we're more connected to our being, there is just a natural intelligence that doesn't get you doing the the crazy things but it does enable you to put yourself and be uncomfortable and and I know a lot of sports people would say you know it's about being comfortable with being uncomfortable that's what they start to realize is that quite often and I see this with senior people in business often they recognize that actually if you're going to go into a more senior role that by definition is less has less clarity to it success is much harder to define because they're often you're in a role that's so fast moving you can't quite pin it down my experience working with people like that is part of the journey for them is to get comfortable with the nature of that it's saying no the nature of that is that You'll be uncomfortable. You you will be out of your comfort zone a, a fair chunk of the time, and recognizing oh that's the nature of it. So mm. the nature is I'm going to doubt myself. I'm going to feel sometimes oh my god am I good enough for this? And say no that's that that's okay. But if you don't get caught up in that thinking, because then that will create a life of its own. If you see you can have that thinking, but it doesn't have you, you drop back into that more intuitive minds the broad that broader intelligence and it it will guide you in in what to do and sometimes that might be to back off 
And sometimes it might be that book, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. It might be that. Yeah. No, yeah. Need to, yeah. I was like that sort of model of that. There is, there is stuff that's in our absolute on our comfort zone. And as you rightly describe it, then there's the there's the bits that are out of our comfort zone, but somewhere in between, there is this notion of stretch. Yeah, that actually, absolutely. you know, it, it. And I think it's it's the, it's everything that you're describing. If you come if you come back to swimming or you come back to, to riding a bike, those are the small progressions that we can make. And I don't know. I'm even a little bit thinking about you know some of the things we talked about like speaking in speaking in public. You know, it's almost the same, isn't it? You say, right, okay, do you want to go and speak in front of twenty thousand people? <laughs> Yeah. No, thank you very much. But actually, what's the extent that you okay present in front of your own team? You know, your nearest and, and dearest, and and that's something that you can get practice. Where all the things that you know might be going on in your head about the judgment that we talked about, or all the things that you've got is, that you worry about from the past, whatever it might be, can play out. But actually, it's just in that safer way rather than filling Wembley Arena or whatever yeah. in front of 20,000. 20, it's such a good point gareth because i think you're spot on that there's a real difference between stretch and stress so quite often when i when i um run training around mental health i've got a graph i use that makes that distinction really that says stretch stretch is good and stress is bad in effect and there's a tipping point and of course that tipping point is incredibly subjective because it depends for an individual and context and um, and it's really interesting because often when I uh, talk about that, I say, so what you've got to do is be super sensitive to stress, which people find really surprising <laughs> to say, no, you should be more sensitive to stress. Because once you tip over into it, you're then at the effect of it and you're at the effect of your biology, actually, once the fight or flight kicks in. You're, you are at the effect of your biology at that at that point, which is not in your is not in your control. So often the the uh, analogy I'd use is it's like a hot plate. So if you if there was a hot plate, like a really really hot plate, would you want to be able to put your hand on it and keep your hand on it, or would you want to have a really a really um, acute sensitivity to it to know that it's really it's really hot and gonna and it's gonna burn you well for all of us I think we go for no I'd want to know quite quickly because if I put my hand on a hot plate and I don't know it's hot I'm going to do damage to my hand that is then going to take a little bit of time to recover from so you know people that do have don't have that ability to sense pain you know unfortunately often they have quite short lives because you sort of realize that pain is a really important part of life. It, 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 it's a sort of an alarm in a sense. So I would say stress is an alarm. So you want an instant sensitivity to it so that if you're tipping from stretch to stress, you know you're tipping from stretch to stress. And stress is the source of stress is psychological i mean it can be environmental if there's something if there's bad chemicals in the in the environment that you're in that then that can create a stress response in the body so there is that 
But for most of us, when we experience stress, as Robert Sapolsky said, he wrote a brilliant book called Why, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, <laughs> Why Humans Do and Zebras Don't. I've never heard of that. He, he, yeah, he, 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 in effect, what he's saying is all stress is psychological when you take out that that the chemical bit in the environment. And it's a primitive system that was meant to keep us physically safe, but we now turn it on for hours on end, worrying about relationships, promotions, money, mortgages, COVID-19. We, we, we're turning on a, a, a system that's meant to be very short term, and we're turning it on on a more regular basis through through our psych through our psychology. So once you tip from stretch to stress, it's always the thinking that is the source of the source of the problem. And of course, if you're starting to think about yourself as an imposter, then that's going to ramp up your thinking, and that then by definition will cause the will cause the stress. So in a way, it's that if you notice that that thought coming up about being an being an imposter, it's to be able to catch it and go, okay, that that's that's my thinking, and being able to then drop back into being, and from that place, you, you can trust more of the instinct of, okay, is this something I just need to do because this is a bit uncomfortable, but it's but it feels like the right thing to to do i can i can hit, have that fear and do it anyway or does it feel like no no this is this feels way beyond that and so at this moment in time running in the deep dropping into the deep end i don't feel i'm yeah. quite ready for that yet and it's going that's fine as yes. well that's absolutely fine as well but don't i think one of the mistakes people make often is they want the confidence before they're doing something that's new and different rather than seeing no confidence is an outcome of doing something. Yes. You know, if you're going to speak in front of people, for example, if you don't speak in front of people, the chances are you'll never be confident to speak in front of people because you need to do it to have the experience of doing it and developing the skills and capabilities to do it and yeah it might be that standing up in front of 2000 people probably is not the a good starting point it's probably going to for everyone would create a bit more thinking than might be helpful i think even someone that's done a lot of when i've done loads of speaking and courses and on if you put me in front of 2000 people you know i'd feel a little bit of well okay this, <laughs> you know you just naturally would so you would you would think if if public speaking is something you know presentations or whatever is something you want to do then well start start more slowly start with your team or start with uh, you know a smaller audience or on a topic that you're really familiar with you know and and then gradually sort of build up that experience and capability through through that way so it's with all these things I think it's it's really nuanced often it's not as yes when you, and i know i i can talk about it definitely and it feel more black and white than it truly is but yeah um, yeah I, I think it's got to be careful that we, 
you know, like we're saying, it's not a prescription of something. We're trying to describe something, no, give no. some examples of that. Yes. Um, try and bring it to life. Yeah, and, and look, I think hopefully, you know, depending whether you've listened to lots of episodes of us or you're coming to it the, the, the first time, one of the things we, we're very conscious of, we're trying not to give a prescription because we do not believe there is a prescription. You will never hear from us. Here are the 10 things about being. Here is the core framework of being and how it's playing out. We, we, we're deliberately not going to do that because we don't believe in it. We don't believe that that, that exists. Right. You know, what we, what we continue to do is bring in the concepts, but then actually you know, reiterate them, but always look from, from an everyday being perspective. Um, However, I, I absolutely love that that pragmatic example that you just gave there about just noticing. We talk about that a lot about, you know, we're given a framework and a language and understanding here. It is an understanding. And by having that and by growing that and developing, as you and I always are, Steve, we're always learning and developing and understanding. We have we have certainly not finished this by any stretch of imagination. We, we, we profess to be learners. Um, but but we can notice, okay, I am, I am, I'm feeling this, I'm experiencing this, I'm thinking about the imposter syndrome. So therefore, we've got a notice, we've got an understanding, which is powerful already in a really pragmatic way. And that brilliant thing, then you added to it saying, actually, then I can come from my being, I can actually be in this moment and think about, is that where I want to go at the minute? Is now the time? You know, and, and yes, that is coming a little bit from a self one perspective that you're having that inner dialogue with yourself. But if you trust the wisdom that you will know, you will know that, yeah, it is the time or no, it's not. And, and you know, and as you brilliant said, that was that well, it doesn't matter what it is um so i just think it's a really lovely pragmatic thing that's some of the things that we can take away from this conversation yeah yeah um joe just coming back to the um the bike riding just for a minute right um um so uh, yes i absolutely have been been through through that so uh so teaching florence who's my eldest to learn to ride was one of the hardest things that i have ever done and we literally tried um tried everything in a range of ways and different different scenarios different tools different emotional connections with the bike you know different people blah 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 we went and did different things and interestingly uh she's she's 16 and a half now um it, balance bikes weren't particularly a thing then might not have been a thing with 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 your three actually um and so therefore we were like like i was brought up on is you get stabilizers right don't yeah. you so so that's what we did but interestingly in the sort of trans the sort of those in between years between florence and, and nancy learning to ride balance bikes became became the thing so that actually you know nancy was on a balance bike probably at like two and a half and i don't know if you've seen these have you seen them no, at all, no i haven't no no never heard of them actually. so so the, so they're they're amazing in that effectively they're the bike without the wheels and they're they're adapted for probably kids of an age of two to four something something like that and what they're teaching is clues in the title the balance so what they do is they're like a seated scooter so what the kid what the child will do will sort of go around on it they can stand up and they almost sort of like do like crazy legs cartoons where they're pushing the legs like you would on a scooter clearly it's two legs rather than one they sat down on it and you'll see the ones who've got uber confidence on it 
that um, actually they just get up a speed and then they pick their legs up and they're just sort of going around on the bike with um, with their feet up and they just bring the momentum and, and they go. And the, and the theory behind, the, behind it is, and I buy into this 100%, is that the tricky thing we're learning to ride is the balancing part. And so what, what they do is they, you know, they get, get encourage you to master balance and pedaling's really blinking straightforward. Everyone can yeah. pick that up really quickly versus balance being really right. dif- different. So we had Florence on, you know, stabilizers for ages um, and then introduced, you know, taking them off and then the balance kicks in. And that's what, you know, took took ages versus, you know, Nancy was sort of balance bike for a while. Yeah, while, yeah. A while. And I, I, I kid you not, this story, Steve, was first time that I put her on a, on a bike. I was ready to go through all those examples of, you know, everything that I did, did for Florence and I didn't know what was going to work. I literally put her on the pedals for the first time set her up said right push the the pedals and she went and she was cycling immediately um and i've always i've always said like you know i'll never give anyone any any other parents advice because you know all kids are different and who am i to give any 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 advice apart from the one thing i would say the one thing i would say is when they learn to ride get a balanced bike and i don't know whether sort of things have moved on now you know clearly they're a bit bit older but that was such a a difference and had such a powerful impact and whilst it's a story in itself which you go okay what the hell is that going to do with everyday being i do think it is a little bit about how you you, confidence is the outcome and you learn you're learning the different component parts and you put some stuff together that that actually it is in stretch as we come back to to add the next thing and i and i think you know i I don't know whether this is true if anyone listens and wants to tell us otherwise that's fantastic please get in touch is is that that the the coming from something like stabilizers to without is out of comfort zone versus adding in the pedals onto a competency of balance actually is in stretch and that's why it makes makes it yeah. difficult. i don't know whether that's true but I, I i certainly can buy into that yeah 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 and i suppose it's interesting isn't it because i think if you if you understand the nature of something then there's certain implications of that so i guess someone worked out that the nature of cycling is balance the key nature of it is balance and therefore actually that determines then how you approach developing that skill Mm. and i guess the other thing that really that points to is if you're going to ride a bike you're not going to do it from reading a book you could read a book you could read a manual you could understand every aspect of the mechanics of a bike the wheels the gears the braking system you know you could develop all of that and you still won't be able to ride a bike. And so the, if you're going to develop a, a skill or a capability, then you have to do it. And if you do it and you understand the nature of it, you, you're, you're going to probably approach it in a more effective, more effective way. So I think sometimes, you know, a lot of us, what, that's what we've been pointing to. Is if we understand the nature of the human experience, 
and understand that there's a there's a real that leads to certain implications about the way you the way you approach things um yeah. you know a bit like i do a lot of leadership training and i think it's really interesting to say well what's the nature of leadership well you know the nature of leadership is to take the lead really when you break it all down and there's you know i always joke to people i said look there are literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of books on leadership occasionally i go and just search on amazon and you know just it won't give you the number there's so many it's just like goes beyond its algorithm i think and you think well why there's so many well well it seems to me there are so many because people can only describe what their idea of it is what their sort of experience of it is in a way and it's often provided it's almost like um comes across as a prescription oh this is what leadership is but of course because there's so many of it it says well they they can't all that can't be true there can't be one thing and i i think that's true there are all some really useful stuff there's some core principles around you know it starts with self and authenticity and all that sort of you know there's some core principles you could argue but when you fundamentally step back from me so what's the nature of leadership was to take to take the lead and what they're describing to you is different ways of being able to to take the lead so i think often why i i'll often quite often emphasize that for people is because well if you're going to take the lead what's the implication of that well one well why i would say one implication is that <clears throat> Um, you're taking the lead where you're taking the lead because you're trying to get somewhere so you could say well so we're trying to get from where we are now to to wherever it is that we want to get to and then you say well if you're going to do that really effectively then coming back to everyday being you need to be present because if the only way you create your future is now so you can only create your future now and um and the reason you want to get really present to the now is because if you're really tuned in to now if you're being really present and engaged in the now then you are now you are now creating your future so if you're having a conversation with someone so say a colleague or someone that works for you or whatever if you're really present to that person you are creating that relationship. You are creating the future of your relationship. You are contributing to how that person's future is going to be. And you're always doing that. But if you're stressed or caught up in your own thinking or whatever it might be, and you're not really engaged and present, then you you are creating the future of that relationship, the future of that person, but perhaps not in the way that you want to. So, uh, so the value of being fully as fully present and engaged as you can be is that that gives you the best chance of um, creating the future that you're looking to create. You know, being if you're being the person you want to be, then what you do reflects that and therefore you're going to make a much more positive contribution sort of to the future so it's so it's quite interesting you know you can sort of start to sort of come back and look at you know 
what's the nature of things you know the nature of change you know often like for me it's like that what's the nature of change life what's the nature of life oh it's change <laughs> you think oh well, that's really useful to know so if life is about change and change is about life then does that have implications in the way you think about change or the way you think about life Um, I was going to um, add an, another thing before we start to think about wrapping up this conversation was one of the things that I thought about as that when I think about either my own experience or the experience of people I've worked with when they think about, you know, am I being good enough or making a judgment they're not being good enough is that sort of comparison to other people. Um, uh, you know, I know certainly I've I've been in, meetings probably throughout my my career where i've i've looked at the performance of others or looked at the you know the way that other people handle themselves and go oh my god they're so much better than me look how they're doing that look how they thought of that thing gosh they're just so talented so you know all, all those judgments i'm putting on what they what they uh, what they've they've done and then internalize it and gone well i'm clearly not up to this or you know that because if that's what good looks like i don't do that so i should should do that and and you know look i think it does resonate with some of the things we talked about that some things has been real positive reaction that it, it can strive you you know but then i have had plenty of occasions in my career and working with others where actually it, you know it does have that debilitating impact where you just go oh my gosh i can't you know i can't compare to these people so so you know why bother why try i'm not good enough for this yeah. i need to do something else you know that real kind of negative spiral of of thinking that goes goes on um and and so therefore i was thinking of that that being a you know a key part of thinking about whether i'm i'm good enough and i, and I was then thinking about that you know the, the link that we've made on previous efforts episodes about the nature of outside in thinking and the impact that that has on our well-being, our happiness, our performance, our, our mindset, and I and I was just I was just going to draw the link there that good enough can be influenced by in, in outside in thinking. So just just to reiterate the importance of coming from that internal perspective, understanding that the, the nature of our existence and and being, and just coming from a different perspective. Yeah, and I, I think it's really interesting. It's a good really interesting point about what's the value of competition because <clears throat> you could say in the essence of the value of competition is for you to develop your potential whereas which I, I i and i think you see it with certain people so you know i often i didn't really watch a lot of tennis but you know federer and nadal com really competitive but I think they saw that they were in a joint exercise. They were almost in a collaborative relationship, which sport I think we often underestimate is you have to collaborate first in sport because otherwise yeah, it's a yeah. game. But you could really see, well, why did they play these games where they clearly both wanted to win? But afterwards, the way they were with each other, you know, come succeed or not, incredibly sort of connected to each other. Because I think they seem to see that I am I am a better player because of you and you are a better player because of me. Yeah. And so they, I think they saw that they almost had an interdependency, which was 
they became so good at their craft because of each other. Well, they almost they almost elevate this, even their sport. They maybe elevate sport in general, aren't they? So actually, it's not. It isn't about them. It's the interconnected nature between the two of them. Yeah, but actually, it's not about them at all. No, it's not. Well, it's not about the winning. No, the winning. The winning is an outcome, but that's not the purpose. It's a bit like in business. You know, people often say, "What's the purpose of business? Or to make money?" It's like, no, it's not. It's not to make. Money. Money is an outcome from you serving your customers. If you serve your customers, if you're providing a valuable service or product or whatever, then the purpose of your business is is to serve your customers. Now, the profit, money, is an outcome of that. But if that becomes the purpose of it, it's the same in sport. If you know, if for them, if if it was just about winning, then most sports people lose far more than they win. <laughs> yeah. Jack Nicholas won, I think, 18 majors. He had a career that spanned 40 years. Well, there's there's five majors every year. So do the math. He he played at least in 200 and he won 18 of them. <laughs> yeah. And yet he's the most successful golfer. <laughs> you know, Tiger Woods is be behind him. But you sort of you know, if the purpose was to win, then there'd be all these people that would just go, "Well, it's just not worth it. I'm not. I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm a failure. I'm a failure." So I think mm. that's you know to your point about when you compare yourself to other people, it's like such a zero sum game that it's just like if you play that game, you are going to be there'll always be someone more money, more successful, whatever that means. A more senior person, you know, even these billionaires, you know, you, you see, see the list of billionaires and you must have some, you know, does Elon Musk go, oh my God, you know, look at him. He's, he's worth whatever billion more than I am. It's like, he's got a bigger yacht than me. You know, it's like, really? <laughs> so I think a friend of mine, Nick, he often says, you know, um, you can't miss your own boat. And I think it's such a brilliant way of thinking about it. I often use that with people working with, you know, they say, oh, I didn't get that. I didn't get that promotion or he, uh, he or she did and I didn't. And oh, and they're, they're tracking, you know, they're, they're, they're tracking their career with is like ahead of mine. And it's like, no, you really, you cannot miss your own boat. You're playing your own game. And you cannot miss your own boat because it's your boat. You can't miss it because it's yours. And even someone I knew, her dad had got accepted. I can't remember where I was, Oxford or Cambridge, years ago when he was younger. Mm. He couldn't go for some reason. And then he's re he's re he'd retired. And she said he's gone to whichever one it was. He's now doing as a as a senior. And it's like, well, that brilliant. It took him forty years, but. Yeah. Got there in the that's end. that's when his boat was meant to sail and it it what didn't sell when he thought it was it sailed 40 years later and I, I i just think the more we see this is an inner game it's about developing your own potential and if you're developing if you're playing your own game you know game of life living if you're playing that then it doesn't mean that you can't compete and you can't strive but it, that's not where the happiness and success is going to come from. It will come from you being the person you want to be and how you go about doing that, not in the outcome of it. The outcomes 
you know, lovely when you get those, but they come and go. That's the nature of life. So sorry, I know we have to wrap up, but no, I see it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a brilliant, brilliant place to stop. Time probably doesn't mean we should stop, but actually, it's a brilliant place to stop anyway. So look, thank you, thank you, Steve. Thank you as well for spending time with us. Um, that's been our episode on good enough. Um, hopefully, this lots of really interesting stuff for you to think about and as ever we'd encourage you to reflect on what this means for you uh do a little bit of inquiry into yourself ask yourself so what and hopefully there's some nice pragmatic everyday things that you can take away from it so if anything does come up <clears throat> as ever please get in touch it's uh hello at everydaybeing.co.uk on the email you can find us on instagram at everyday.co.uk being um if you have enjoyed this and you found it useful please share please give it on to other other people we are hearing more and more that we're people are passing it on to others which is amazing to to hear so so please do that equally if you've got the time do give us a review wherever you get your podcast because those things do help spread the word that's all we're ever trying to do but um, through everyday being is help people with happiness make a difference on our health and our general well-being through the lens of being um and just really trying to bring it to, to life steve thank you so much for, for today it's been an absolute pleasure delight yeah. he's back Have from his way. holidays good to see you um and we'll catch up with you soon take yeah. care take care bye